go. This is Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church, the podcast where we invite you to text in your questions on God, text in your questions on the Bible, text in your questions on religion, Christianity, how Christianity compares to other religions, questions on spirituality, questions that you might have that are big, questions you have that might be small, questions that you might be afraid to ask, embarrassed to ask, have been judged for asking in your past. Questions you might not think there's an answer for, questions that uh, you have been given simplistic answers to and, and want to go deeper. This is the podcast where we believe that God wants us asking questions, that a sign of a relationship with God and a healthy faith is inquiry, asking questions about the things that we think about, wonder about, that bother us, that cause us doubt. And through that, I am convinced that, that God is going to show himself and reveal himself and uh, maybe not always give us the answer we're looking for or even an answer, but in the process, do something to strengthen our faith. We hope you take us up on that. We hope you'll give it a shot. And you can question, you can text your questions in today to 815-314-0363, 815-314-0363. You can text them in 24 hours a day. We have an inbox of questions waiting that I know we're going to get to. We're here in the studio today with Kent Jones producing. Kent, big Kent. shout out to you. And I wave Ooh, again. Like a shirt, Kent. Yeah, I don't want polka dots today. Polka yeah, dots. Yeah. Black and white polka dots. Not many men can pull that off. I'm going to say you legitimately and sincerely do. Thank you. Yeah, okay. I, I could not pull that off. <laughs> I don't know if my wife thinks I can pull that <laughs> off. Maybe, maybe next Easter. <laughs> next bust out the polka dots. Polka dots. <laughs> can I borrow that, man? Yeah, I wait yeah, till Easter. Let's do it Sunday. Easter Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. It'll probably throw the cameras off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. You know, co-hosting in the studio here today, we got Steve Wells and Andrew Metcalf. And word on the street is uh, Steve got new shoes. I did. I got some new shoes. We have a softball team at uh, FOF. Fellowship which, of Faith. Fellowship for the of Faith, which yeah. I'm super excited about because it's great. I mean, we get get to go out. You enjoy some nice weather. You get to play around in the in the outfield Hopefully not getting chased by bees out there or mosquitoes. Chasing, which, are you chasing butterflies? In the I, I am probably <laughs> like the kid picking dandelions. <laughs> Sometimes it gets a little boring, you know. But most of the time, you were out there with me yeah, last year. I feel that, yeah. And they, no, you. We were busy. Yeah, we were busy. We have some big hitters in that league, you know. So, and then some that don't hit at all. <laughs> that, and that's that when it gets me. boring. <laughs> that's why I did not uh, sign up. You're welcome. <laughs> Steve Promise online says, here for 20 minutes. Well, hey, thanks for joining us for those 20 minutes. We'll try and make the best of those. Let's just sit in silence yeah. <laughs> until he's gone. We'll, we'll talk about Steve's shoes until about noon or until about 1 p.m. And then. <laughs> so literally my, my old shoes, the bottoms came off. Because I ran so just fast. Just running so. too fast. Just, like the heat, the flames, I bet, right. were just coming out right. the sides. So, so I had like, to... Look at that man. <laughs> so I had to buy these from China. Okay, uh, well... Because that's where shoes not, come from. You know, I mean... And they were thirty dollars. I wasn't. Oh, gonna, I bet those are going to last. I wasn't going to pay was, the last for years. Twenty dollars from Adidas <laughs> for coed softball church league. <laughs> <laughs> it's not worth it. Is no, that what you're I, don't think, I don't think it is. <laughs> I, you get pretty competitive though. I, Andrew, money down right now. By person. game three, he's got duct tape wrapped around these things. <laughs> Absolutely. On, you know? Absolutely. We'll see how long they last. If they do well, then I'll report back. If they don't, <laughs> well, I'll report that too. So. Yeah. Now, did you have to, because usually when you get stuff direct from China, the sizes are way wrong. Did you have to yeah. get like size 47 no, shoes? No, this actually said like, well, I have small feet, so I wear an eight and a, eight and a half. Okay. So I think Maya's feet are like the same size as mine. 
It's a wonderful thing when you can share shoes with your daughter, though, isn't it? Especially, <laughs> especially my, high heels. My daughter Riley and I are having this. She she actually wears the same size shoe as I do, and I'm a size yeah, twelve men. That's interesting. Yeah, you, you know, and uh, yeah, she could put on my boots. I could put on her heels, of course. You know, and uh, we, we both look great. So Sunday outfit. It really accentuates my calves, you know. <laughs> Ken's polka dot shirt. <laughs> Ken's a nice shirt heels. from Riley some, and some some heels. Some heels. <laughs> this is gonna be good. <laughs> But only when Steve wears the shoes. It's got to be a, you know, solid yeah. thing that day. Yep. Yep. Comment on Facebook what you want to see Dave wear. I also have a, Sunday. I'm repping our new Nebraska gear right here. Do you see this? Uh, you, you know, it I'm is. actually digging that shirt. It the is. American flag, yes. too. And it is, goes to support the uh, suicide. Uh, 22 vets uh, a day. 22 a day. So mm. wow. um, you buy one of these and goes to help the, help the organization battle that. So. so you guys know this, but I like, I'm kind of a workout fanatic. You never tell by looking at me, but I actually do enjoy doing it. And, and, you know, I got into hit, which is that high intensity interval stuff. Mm. And I would go to this, uh, this, this boot camp is what they call them. They would run it. Like it's a lot of body weight boot camp. I exercises. always see those when I'm driving by in the morning and all the people like flipping tires. And yeah. Yeah. And like, sledgehammers and horrible. a whole bunch of people outside the building smoking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. That too. No, but you know, honestly, phenomenal workout and you know, you don't get bored because you're constantly moving and the high intensity is like you're dying for breath. But the guy that, uh, um, would run it for us, a uh, very military minded guy. And I don't know if he ever served, but I know his son was a ranger and very just, you know, pro Patriot, if I can put it yeah. that way, pro soldier yeah. that way. And everything was done in series of 22s. Mm -hmm. if we weren't on a clock yeah. and for years, I had no idea why what we were was. doing everything in series of 22s. It's like flip the tire 22 times do 22 hits mm -hmm. on the sledgehammer, 22 push-ups, 22, this, is that a biblical number? That? Not, not no. really. No, no, because it goes back to 22 veterans a day commit suicide. Okay. And it was, uh, it's cool how something like that without explanation, when you finally find it out, sinks into your psyche yeah. so much and you realize just how prevalent it is. Right. Well, my own dad's in that mm -hmm. number, right? You know, yeah. but uh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. no, good shirt, man. Good shirt. I noticed in the, in the intro of, of the podcast today, you said, this is the podcast that God, and I was like, that God wants you to listen to. God. That's what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> that like, would be pretentious. Like, where God wants you to ask questions. I was like, okay, wow. Yeah. That, I think where, he does. Where I, we believe I, God wants you to ask questions. Yeah, we, it, it's somewhere in, in one of the books of the Bible that you don't read very often. We're this podcast to, is set apart. This podcast—it's <laughs> holy. It's holy. I'm going to rename it the okay. holy. The holy. It's, 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 it's full of something, maybe holes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> After all this blasphemy, let's get into some let's questions. Into some questions. <laughs> um, so we got some following up from from Holy Week last week and Good Friday, Easter, those types of things. Um, how does a cross kill you? Oh, great question. And there's actually a, what I would call like urban legend, false urban legend surrounding this one in the Christian community. The, uh, you know, if anyone's ever seen Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, you're going to get just this, this horrific, fantastic portrayal mm -hmm. of what Jesus actually endured. And I think um, at the time, I think it was Pope Ratzinger who made a comment on the movie um, in, in pure like papal fashion you know, just kind of came out and, and this was his quote on it. Um, and I just lost it in my head as I'm about to say it. Um, but after watching the movie, he said what it was, it is. Meaning on watching Mel Gibson's portrayal of crucifixion, what it was historically, it is in Mel Gibson's movie mm. is the idea behind that. Interesting. And um, for, for about a century, there has been an idea that the cross kills you by asphyxiation. 
And the idea would be that as you're hanging there in a prone position, your arms are outstretched and all your weight is kind of leaning forward onto it, that it would somehow suffocate you. And that what you would have to do is like pull up on your arms and push up on your feet. And in Jesus case on nails, which would be agony to try to grab a breath, you know, cause you're, you know, up and then it would release again. And therefore, when the soldiers would go and break your legs, what they were doing is basically killing you quick because how, I mean, look, anytime, if you've ever done like gymnastic rings, how many times can you pull yourself up mm-hmm, yeah. with your arms extended? It's a great idea. The problem is it hasn't proven to be true. People are still crucified to this day. Mm-hmm. It's often a way that uh, Christians are mocked um, by execution among militant is, uh, Muslims in certain parts of the world. And uh it, and, and, and other people as well have faced this kind of thing and they can hang up there for days. Um, in, in fact, in the Roman world, they would hang up there for days. Well, I don't know if asphyxiation is going to be the way that it's going to happen for days. There, there's a, um, a doctor and uh, I read a book that he did and I want to pull up the title called The Crucifixion of Jesus, a, a Forensic Inquiry um, by Frederick Zugibi, um, if I'm pronouncing his name um, correctly. Um, read this several years back and it changed my thinking on it. He was chief medical examiner for Rockland County in New York, um, prominent forensic expert. He actually did experiments with medical students where he would crucify them. Jeez. And, 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 and when, would, when was this? And you can read it and you can see pictures in this his book. like the 80s or something or no? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, he was chief medical examiner until t- 2002. Okay. May- maybe when his experiments came out. No, it, it isn't sound as whacked as I'm saying. Maybe slightly whacked, but a cool kind of whacked. He, he wasn't like nailing him to a piece of wood. What he would do is he would just set up a platform and, and invite people to kind of stand on it. And he would do it through time. Mm-hmm. And it was all highly controlled and they would put sensors on it and they would realize I'm not asphyxiated hanging up here at all. Mm-hmm. This doesn't seem to be the way, even though you'll hear 9,000 sermons preached that this is the way Jesus died. Yeah. His theory is that the way that the cross kills you, and, 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 and I become a believer of this is by hypovolemic shock. And basically put what hypovolemic shock is when your body goes into shock due to severe loss of body fluid, being blood, be it just dehydration, water that you need. And so your your heart has to pump extra hard and suddenly your heart goes into cardiac arrest because there isn't enough fluid to pump through your body. Well, if you look at the scourging that Jesus went through and you understand the dehydration and everything else um, that that's a part of this process, it seems to carry a little bit more, I think, credibility um, or, or, or credence into how the cross actually kills. So who knows at the end of the day in Jesus' specific situation, but it seems that that would be a more likely scenario by which a cross kills people either over days or after a severe flogging like Jesus endured more quickly, if you will, from all the blood loss leading to hypovolemic shock and cardiac arrest. And, and if you're a doctor out there listening, we encourage you to come and maybe um, take my non-medical knowledge and add to it <laughs> and, uh, and point back. But I'd you said a you lot of medical words. So it sounded, well, I read up a lot on it. It's it a forensic inquiry and I'm reading it as a non-specialist, but it certainly held logic to me, mm-hmm. especially given other scenarios where you're seeing that asphyxiation doesn't seem to be the way to go. And, you know, you could even practice this at home and it's not the same. Just jump up in a pull-up bar and hold it and hang. It, it's not as easy to breathe, but you're not really asphyxiating. Yeah, your I, hands I, are going to give out way sooner. There, there's some 
common sense things that we can test to see that while not strapped up in a cross position, doesn't seem to be the same way. So good well, question. And there's and, there's uh, cultures around the world where people do that on Good Friday and remember in the Philippines, yeah. um, people will practice it as a spiritual practice, highly controlled where they'll get very, uh, you, you, you know, sterilized nails, very thin nails, put it through their hands, put it through their feet. And I've seen pictures of this and even documentaries on this where they'll walk home after a few hours on the cross. And oftentimes they have to be taken down pretty quickly because shock starts to set in. And by quickly, I mean an hour, two hours, maybe more, but yeah. crazy. Huh? But really does give wow. you his perspective though. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I saw. I think I'll continue my like pilgrimage walking on Palm Sunday. Yeah, that sounds fasting sounds better yeah, than that. Fasting sounds a lot better. But no, watch it. I don't think I've seen the whole Passion movie, but I, I've seen the. I know for sure the the flogging scene in there. How oh, is that just, possible that you haven't seen the whole thing? Brutal to watch. I don't. I don't know. I think you watch that movie and the flogging scene. If that is maybe that just sticks to, out. I think that seems more horrific than the actual crucifixion. Because they go through all 40 lashes. Yeah. But it makes it's me sin. Horrible. I watch that movie and, and then get I have angry. horrible, horrible thoughts. Yeah. Meaning I just get pissed. Yeah. Yeah. Thoughts of revenge. And then, thoughts and of then those yeah, turn yeah. back to me because it's my sins that did it too. Right. And it's like, okay, well, I'm such a loser. <laughs> poor miserable sinner but doesn't it just but highlight I did it. It, it's horrible all the more when the new testament talks about the cross so bluntly as being our way of life i mean to us it's oftentimes a cliche or it's certainly flattened out mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but to them who saw it witnessed it lived it it was a part of society as execution and humiliation yeah. Yeah. and to say hey welcome to the way of jesus doesn't seem like it's going to work in a seeker movement too well right yeah. You know, but, uh, and that's no knock on the seeker movement. I, I sure big believer in it, yeah. but, but at the same time, like stoning still is going on today too. Yeah. You know, yeah. so yeah. crazy I stuff. See, I see on, on your screen, there's a couple pictures of the crucifixion and, um, I, this one thing that's always been curious to me is typically when you see the crucifix in, you know, most Roman Catholic churches, Jesus is on the cross still. Right. But in a lot of, non-denominational other denominations you just use the cross as you know typically at the front of your sanctuary or your worship space so what is the what is the thinking behind a cross without jesus and a cross with jesus on it and kind of why is there that yeah yeah there actually is a cultural reason behind this and a theological emphasis behind this and i want to start by saying that both catholics and protestants value the crucifixion and resurrection as necessary, important, and is almost part of one and the same event. And sorry for kicking the table there, and you can't. That I don't know mind. if I just messed up the sound. <laughs> um, get me excited here. Get into this. <laughs> yeah, let's go. We need a new table. <laughs> and both in Protestant and Catholic traditions, you will see crosses without Jesus and crucifixes with Jesus mm -hmm. on it. But yes, there does tend to be this, shall I say, emphasis more in Roman Catholicism is seeing the body still on the cross. And in Roman Catholicism, the crucifixion tends to take greater emphasis um, as is impacting our way of life, our way of thinking, as being the focal point. Even within Eucharistic theology and Roman Catholicism, there is the idea of not just the real presence of Christ, but the real sacrifice of Christ, which in a way means that Christ is being re-sacrificed over and over again, 24-7, for the last 2,000 years, because arguably there's a priest somewhere doing the Mass yeah. at some point in some time zone 
any given point in the day. And so it becomes that greater focal point while Protestants not undermining the cross or shouldn't be undermining the cross have often run to the resurrection as being the focal point and the victory that comes through that. Both are true. Both are important. Both need to have an emphasis and we can always be guilty of overemphasizing one at the other. But nonetheless, that's kind of how it's worked into church tradition. Interesting. Yeah, it's something I've, I've always been curious about. Yeah, like why there was that distinction, but it's more cultural and kind of what they emphasize. And it's interesting, more. even in Lutheran theology, which often tends to be a hybrid of uh, modern day Protestantism with Catholicism. I mean, that, that, that's not really doing it justice, but mm -hmm. let's go with it for a moment where Luther is very, shall I say, fixated on the cross. You'll see Luther write and talk and reference the cross far more than resurrection, if you will. And there's a, a strain within Lutheran theology that's even called the theology of the cross, mm -hmm. almost as opposed to what they will call the theology of glory. And yet, while not absent in Lutheran churches, you tend not to see crucifixes with the body nearly as much as you do and church that I grew up with or in was Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and we had it, Jesus was on the cross. Okay, my dad hated it; like, uh, just couldn't. Just, stand it was it. just creepy to him. Yep, grossed him out. Yep. Yeah, and he's like, yeah. I, I can't pay attention to anything going on right now because all I can focus on is is what I'm seeing in front of me. So, what was it? Was it the crucifix? Like the day he was crucified, or is it, is it the one where yeah. he's hanging out in like an alb and stole and no, nope. you know, no, nope. it was. It was brutal. Yeah. 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 So you get to see that every time you go into church. Yeah. I was at a conference a few years back in Springfield, Illinois, and it was a Missouri Synod conference, I think called with, with a doxology group or something. Interestingly enough, it was all about modern day um, demon affliction and possession and exorcisms. And they had an exorcist there, but it was in this, and I believe it was a Roman Catholic monastery or church or chapel of some kind. And it had the coolest crucifixion I'd ever seen the church. And I don't remember the name of this church. I'd have to look it up. But it had one of those giant like crucifix things, just like you're talking about. But it was embedded in a skull. Mm. And so you had this busted open skull at the bottom, which is horrific. But that like actually appeals to me yeah. um, and is powerful to me. Um, it, but, but the imagery of just the destruction of death through death had such potency. Yeah. To me, but man, I get I get what your dad's talking about, mm -hmm. um, and I, I've talked with uh, some former Roman Catholics who go to FOF who are just to this day haunted by crucifixes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've also wondered. You know, not a lot, but at the same time, you know, you get to around you know this season, you know, where you know the crucifixion happened and whatnot, and and. Uh, you you do wonder like why is it that we're so fixated on the cross and, and versus the empty tomb, you know like why are why do we have crosses at the at the at the front of our churches or around our churches or whatever and not the empty tomb? Why should be like okay I understand that he had to die, but at the same time if he didn't if he wasn't resurrected none of it matters. It matter, he just yeah, died right, on a cross, right. you know. So it's like why why isn't at least equal you know, or why are we not having, well, the empty tomb or, you know, something that, that symbolizes the resurrection. Maybe, the, maybe the, the kick drum on our drum set. That can, that's the, empty that could tomb. be the empty yeah. tomb. Okay. Yeah. We got to yeah. take the head off. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. 
I know I cut a hole in the front of this. But you know, you're, you're coming up with something here, Andrew, and, and I suspect, Steve, that there's two reasons. One is very practical, and the other is historic. And the practical reason is how do you portray an empty tomb in art or iconography? I mean, a cross is a very iconic, simple symbol mm -hmm. that anyone can construct that's easy to wear, that's very identifiable. And, and so I think it lends itself. Mind you, the cross really wasn't the main symbol of the early Christians either. Um, crucifixion, in, in Jesus' crucifixion, is where they embedded themselves in resurrection. But the cross didn't actually become an iconic symbol um, until uh, the prominent iconic symbol until more in like the third or fourth century. Before that, um, the Cairo, which is like, it looks like a letter P with the X over it, but it's the Greek letter Chi over the Greek letter Rho. It's an anagram for Christ in Greek was, was more prominent that, that the ichthus, the Jesus fish that was popular yeah. on cars in the nineties yeah. was a prominent <laughs> symbol. And it stands um, ichthus is a Greek word that means fish. So if you wanted to order fish in Greek, you'd say ichthus please. Hmm. Um, and it's um, um, Iota Chi Theta Upsilon Sigma are the Greek letters, which are the first words of Jesus Christ, son of God, savior is what that's an anagram or, or acronym, I guess I should say yeah. for, um, but I think the second historic reason behind the cross is it kind of keeps us grounded away into the fact that we still live a life of suffering. We still live a life of sacrifice and we still live a life where we're called to carry our cross until Christ comes again. And any Christian in any part of the world will let you know, especially in persecuted areas, what it costs to follow Jesus and I don't think that's a natural place for us to go, particularly those of us in Western Christianity, where we have been very um, freed from many forms of religious persecution. And so it, it's almost like it's, I think, countering a tendency to want to live a prosperity gospel as opposed to the call of sacrifice that Jesus makes, where I think we're more inclined to live victoriously, not all. Some love to wallow, <laughs> you know, and we've mm -hmm. been around it. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I think it's why we need to emphasize both. Talk about it as a Christ event, crucifixion and resurrection. Mm -hmm. Both speak into our. I think you had nailed something right there, the event, because I think a, a lot of churches too, it, it's kind of like the golden calf syndrome where mm -hmm. you have, you have to have the cross. And if you touch that cross or remove that cross or, or move it somewhere, oh my, yeah. you're right. It's yeah. like, well, yes, I understand that it's important to you. At the same time, is it important to you because it's a cross in our building or is it important to you because it's an event that happened and, and our Savior died on that cross? And where the symbol becomes a God, right? right. The substance of what the symbol right. refers to. Yep. And then you see people doing the most ungodly things right. and treating people in the most ungodly way in defense of a symbol. Mm -hmm. And I understand the power and potency of a symbol. I mean, sure. I'm not knocking um, some of where it stems from. But yeah, I'm so with you. Yeah. It gets so misguided. Yeah. We should test our congregation. Ooh. Just remove the the big wooden cross in the corner and see what happens. I, I'm pretty sure. Replace I'll... it with a giant fish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just making the the Billy Bass the singer oh, yeah. on the wall. Just get a twenty foot singing fish on the wall. <laughs> we have something similar to that because we have a new cat, you know. So of course Barbie has bought in this cat anything that it wants. <laughs> or anything that she wants for the cat. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I couldn't care less. Stupid right. flopping fish that just, uh, I'm like, what does that sound? You know, like it'll be on <laughs> one of our wooden floors, and I'm, you know, all you hear is just, 
I'm thinking, <laughs> what is that? Oh, it's the fish. Well, the cat's nowhere near the fish, so can we shut the thing off? <laughs> no, you cannot. No. The, the cat might come back to Might it. come back. Anyway. It's all hey, about the cat. Real quick, um, and then we'll get to Gene's question. You know, we just came off a of Holy Week, and I don't know how many of our uh, uh, listeners are um, people that were a big part of Holy Week for us at FOF, but a huge shout out just to all of our volunteers and and techs and Absolutely. musicians and coffee bar and all those people that just put in so much time and effort into it. Um, we have the best team, you know, mm -hmm. and just talented people and just the hearts are, are huge. So if you're listening out there, thank you. From you know, and, and, and even one on top of that, you know, I don't know how many of our listeners are church workers. Yeah. And, you know, around the country and around the globe, those of you in your own local churches who have just been pouring your guts and soul into trying to create experiences and events and, and, and worship opportunities to help people meet Jesus, see Jesus, just, you know, maybe you're walking off Holy Week and it was like a huge success and you're just feeling great. Maybe you're walking off of it feeling defeated because like no one came yeah. or everyone's kind of like yawning through what you poured your heart into. I mean... It, it, it's it's brutal work and it's hard what you guys are doing out there. And we want to thank you too yeah. for the way that you keep stepping up to the plate to try to be a prophet, to try to be a witness, to try to be someone who is sharing what you've experienced with others and uh way to go yeah. on that. Yeah. And there is a little vulnerability there where it's like, you know, you, yeah. you have these ideas, you want to be creative, you know, and you, and you try certain things and sometimes they work like, and sometimes fell, they don't. Fell flat on its face. <laughs> Our dry eyes and did not the, work. The dry eyes worked for about, <laughs> 10 minutes. <laughs> but hey, we I learned. thought it was cool, Andrew. We learned something. We learned. We need more dry eyes. <laughs> more dry eyes. More cowbell. Yeah. More cowbell. Anyway, no, I thought I thought it was good. Yeah. And you know what? All of and the thanks services. Thanks to you too. I mean, you guys. The services went well. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. So we have a question here from Gene. If we can throw that up. Why will, let's see. Why will the tribe of Dan be replaced yeah, by the right? tribe, of, tribe of Manasseh? Revelations 10. And can we assume that the 144,000 will come from the Jews for Jesus? Yeah, Gene, thanks for your question here today. What Gene is referring to by this question is a passage that comes out of the book of Revelation, where it says there'll be 144,000 who did not take the mark of the beast, but that will be marked by God instead. And this, this 144,000, many people have made the mistake of taking it very literally. I think it's meant to be a symbolic number, like most of the book of Revelation is meant to be interpreted for the people of God. Well, Mormons. Uh, well, we, uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Jehovah's, actually, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, among others, but even within some um, uh, sects or branches of Christianity, they'll take it as a very literal kind of subset. And uh, the numeric significance behind the numbers is, of course, 12 is a hugely significant number in the Bible. 12 tribes of Israel, it's why Jesus chooses 12 apostles. It's very intentional. You got a 12 times 12, that's 144, right? The, the Old Testament people of God, the New Testament people of God. 10 is a number of completion and significance you'll find in the Bible. And there's always this exponential kind of idea to go like, you know, um, from like good, better, best, mm -hmm. like, like, like the standard to comparative to superlative. So it it would be a thousand is often a common way of talking in the Bible as being the totality of completion. It's not because they couldn't camp count beyond a thousand, but, but it, it just numerically works that way. That's also why the millennium is talked about a thousand. It's the total complete period of time, not a literal thousand years. Some Christians would disagree with me, but not as I interpret it. And so the 144,000 is 12 times 12 times a thousand, the total complete unit of God's covenant people 
Old Testament, New Testament alike. And it divides them out in Revelation 12,000, 12,000, 12,000 by tribes of Israel. But you'll notice in the Revelation count that the tribe of Dan is missing. And this is what Gene is picking up on and getting at. And Gene, I hate to tell you this, there has been more ink spilled on this question and you are not going to get one definitive answer as to (laughs) why. Some will go, well, he just wanted to number them differently and he had to leave Dan out because he had to get the 12 in there one way or another. Why? Because how many tribes of Israel are there? Well, you'd say 12, but they're based on the 12 sons of the man named Israel, formerly known as Jacob, right? Well, within his 12 sons, you have one son named Levi, but the tribe of Levi was never given property or inheritance right. They became the priests. And so they would infuse into all the different tribes. Okay, well, that leaves us now with 11 geographic units, right? Well, remember Joseph, the son Joseph, like, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber's Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat Joseph. Well, because of the way that he rescued the brothers, God worked through him, brought the people into Egypt out of famine and did all the other kind of good stuff. He was given, his tribe was given a double portion of the land, and it was given to his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So if you include Levi, you're left with 13, so right? Not, and we so don't want to Ephraim. We, so so who, who gets the shaft here? Yeah. Well, in this numbering, Dan gets the shaft. And the reason that's speculated, I think what holds the most water, at least from my standpoint, is the reason Dan gets the shaft is because if you read through the Old Testament narrative, Dan is often the apostate tribe. They're one of those tribes to the north. They're kind of always got their fingers in a lot of this like early on, like just rebellion and and, and like going over to the paganism of the day and the idolatry of the day. And so it's possible that John is making a little nod to go that the apostate people of God are not part of that number, which certainly makes sense in the context of the book of Revelation. But at the end of the day, who knows, man? Who knows? But I wouldn't go down a literal path with it, thinking that there's going to be a literal 12,000 people picked from like the tribe of Levi and no one who can trace a family tree to the tribe of Dan is like left out, you know, in the cold. Cold. That really seems to go against the greater biblical narrative. I think the bigger question that I would have or curiosity would be, you know, you have all these biblical names and then now you've got Dan. (laughs) (laughs) You don't it see the cars running around me. today. It's kind of like the Karen of the uh, Bible. Right, yeah. Just uh, Dan. Gosh. I don't have much time. Let's call him Dan. <laughs> no offense to any listeners who I are love named Dan. I love yeah, it, Dan's a great name, but just it interesting. Means, it means you're a curious kid if you get named Dan, Dan. right? Yeah. You just want to learn everything. I knew some guys named Dan. Perfect. Too curious. Hey, you're listening to questions you never thought you could ask in church right here. 21.6 The Net, and of course, Questions airs every Wednesday at 12.30 Central, 12.30 to 1.30. Text your questions to 815-314-0363, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They'll go to the inbox. We'll answer them live in time right here on the show. If you have questions and you're in the chat box like Gene just did, throw it up, and uh, we'll get to it as well. Uh, also, tune in on Sundays and at 1030 uh, for the hour of worship, which 10, is 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10 Oh, 10. Yeah, we just right. came off of 9 and 1030. Yeah. I'm still stuck last week. Yeah, 10, 
10, right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can come at 1032. Yeah, <laughs> you can show up, right? Uh, yeah, see, now that I don't have a show before that, I my whole right. Sunday is now off. So, Kent, you'll appreciate this, but yeah. my brother, you know, who does uh, the wrestling show. Yeah, let me, tell you, let, me tell you something about, yeah. let me tell you something, brother. Yeah. So, uh, he comes to church at 1030 every week. And you know what his reason why is? No. Because church starts at 1030. <laughs> Because growing up, church started at 10.30. And I, I actually think it started at 10.45, but he says it was 10.30. Hey, I don't remember. Really then. Yeah. And he's just like, you know, I mean, it, and I see he's listening here today. So shout out to Tom. That's, right. just, that's, um, that's his form of rebellion. But, but it's just not church starts at 10.30. Tom, you know, post it up here for us today. Why do you come at 10.30? Because what you've told me is, well, that's when church starts. I mean, I went to 8 o'clock <laughs> church growing up. I'm very thankful we don't have an 8 o'clock service right? in our church. That's it. still there early, but. Um, you know, I, I'm going to throw um, a question in that I've been getting personally mm-hmm. that I want to answer here quickly today. This is the question I've gotten more since Good Friday than any other question, because people ask me questions all the time. Um, how are the ducks? Oh, yeah. So uh, I shared on Good Friday that we have uh, my family and I, we have uh, we have three Pekin ducks, which are those like big, white, cuddly ducks, <laughs> you know, that you see. We, 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 we took them as sort of a rescue. And uh, absolutely fell in love with these things. Well, on, on Monday, Thursday, while we were doing this fellowship meal at uh, communion meal at, at church, our ducks got attacked. And as best we can kind of figure it out is the one duck who's the aggressive big male laid down his life to save the other two ducks. And I referenced this, of course, on Good Friday um, to what God does for us and how Jesus did the same. And I mean, the parallels coming out of it are, are endless. And of course yeah. it, it personalizes it. The good news is the other two ducks seem to be doing just great. Um, we cleaned the other duck up from her injuries the next day, doused her in the tub with hydrogen peroxide and gave her a bath, but you know, eating, walking around, going to the bathroom like she should flapping her wings. You know, we haven't really been checking it, but there's no sign of infection. There's no sign that it's slowing down. So thanks everyone for asking and, and your compassion on it. But uh, other two ducks seem to be doing great. And out of the story, found out there's some other people in town that are, uh, uh, because of reasons, having to get rid of their ducks. And so the flock is going to grow it's this weekend. Grow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Two things. <clears throat> One. So just so you know, like you would think <laughs> from the congregational standpoint that me being where I'm at and my position at the church as well that I would know about this story coming up. <laughs> so I'm getting ready. I'm thinking, okay, Dave's coming in with the intro. We're going to go into a song called Hero. And then he goes into this whole story about ducks. And I'm like, how in the world are we going to transition from this into Hero and talking about <laughs> how Jesus was a hero and he walked the dirty streets and uh, there he goes. Anyway, go listen to the song. It's great. Abandoned it is. sings it. It is, yeah. Um, but anyway... <clears throat> Didn't know that was coming, so kudos to you because it did match up. Oh splendidly. my gosh! I mean, it, it was yeah. it was great. Now yeah. on the other side of this, your update. I thought you were going to say that the one that laid down his life has now resurrected. Oh man, and I you, wish. And you I found wish. him in a tree somewhere, and he's made out of gold now. You know, like I wish, Dave. I'm here. <laughs> quack, quack. The tree's on fire. Stronger than ever. Uh, you know, yeah. It, now that would be amazing. That would be amazing. And you know what? There was a part of me even hoping for that on Easter Sunday that we'd see him totally. come. Totally. You know? You see him swimming in the pond. Yeah. Oh, just, yeah. I'm here. I'm right. Here. So zombie duck. Zombie duck. <laughs> <laughs> I was but very. See, that would be all the wrong ways to go with it and have the wrong yeah. lesson. It's not it. zombie Jesus. Yeah. yeah. 
I was very confused when I, I got a text on my phone like right before you walked into the sanctuary. Yeah, because it was the last minute call. Dave sending this. me two pictures of his ducks, and I was like, "What? We don't usually have sermon slides for Good Friday." And also, why are there pictures of ducks? <laughs> How is this? <laughs> sent me the wrong file. In? The wrong file. <laughs> and then we we're spending so much time cropping the photo to get it right on the slide, and you didn't tell me what it was about. <laughs> I was like, "Why? Why do we have pictures of ducks on Good Friday?" But it worked very well. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of people that hit home, and it, it just it, it brings that message more of a reality to it. Well, it's parable preaching. Yeah. And Perfect. I'll tell you, I was having a moment where I was more, shall I say, emotionally affected mm. by the loss of this duck mm. that I loved. Yeah. I mean, truly, than by Jesus' crucifixion. Mm. Kind of going, not that I should have less compassion for the duck. Right. No, not at all. Right. But how can God use this to speak to me, to remember exactly what he did for me? And, and, it, and it became something very personal and spiritual, even for me in the process. So. Yeah, maybe it, instead of our tagline being disciples who make disciples who make disciples, it's fellowship of faith. Come hear about Jesus through the words of a duck. Uh, you know what? I think that sign would actually probably draw more people. Probably. Yeah. I think that'd be good. I think I think we got a new sign. But then, you know, the rumor would be is that FOF is a bunch of quacks. Yeah, that's oh. true. Oh. Oh. oh, he was working that one. Dad joke. Dad joke. <laughs> you wrote that one last night. Didn't I did. That just came. That's please, how good my brain is. Please send your Steve's comments. He's on fire. That's what he was thinking about during your sermon about uh, ducks. Yeah. He's like, I don't know how it relates to Jesus, but I've got a great joke. Got some jokes here I can tell during Good Friday. Anybody want to hear them? The thoughts and opinions of the people on this show are not necessarily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so let's go to another question here. Um, is it possible to pray to connect with and be on good terms with God while not acknowledging Jesus? Uh, and how does God, how does God feel about that? Would he send the Holy spirit to you to point you toward Jesus or would he let you continue believing as you do? There's a lot of questions actually here. Yeah. Yes. Um, and they, they, they don't all logically I think flow if this is true, this is true. So let, let me kind of take them apart here and, and do it in piecemeal. So the Holy Spirit is absolutely sent by God to point you to Jesus. In fact, you could argue that one of the greatest works what the Holy Spirit does and is about is to point you to Jesus. It's funny that the Holy Spirit is mentioned on like literally, I swear, probably every page of the Bible um, from Genesis 1 verse 2 all the way to the final chapter of Revelation. And yet, he is always a behind-the-scenes player. The only prominence that the Holy Spirit gets is when Jesus gives him prominence or when others will speak and give him prominence. By design, the Holy Spirit seems to like to be behind the scenes. And from a New Testament perspective, he is there to point you to Jesus. That's the work that he's about. So yes, that is exactly what he does. And will he let you continue to believe what you want to believe, whatever it is that you might believe? Absolutely. God lets us do all kinds of things, whether it is true or not, or whether he wants to or not. Um, God wants you to believe in Jesus. Um, Jesus' entire testimony is, put your faith in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus himself will say that if we want a relationship with God, it comes through Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit drawing us to him. But God is not going to force you. 
God is not going to force you to believe in him. God is not going to impose upon you something that you cannot resist or something that you cannot uh, defy. This is the fundamental human problem um, and, and, and nature of the problem of suffering that we even have in the world or evil we have in the world is that God allows a lot of stuff to happen that he doesn't want to happen, but he allows us to do it because he doesn't force us, so to speak. But to the first question, um, is it possible to pray or connect with God or be on good terms with God while not acknowledging Jesus? According to Jesus, the answer is no. We, of course, might feel good about God, like God, be attracted to God, pray to God, and feel a connection with God apart from Jesus, as many people do. But Jesus himself will say that no one can truly connect with God, be right with God, or even have relationship with God in, I think, the, the intimate terms that we mean by relationship, without Christ. Jesus will say that whoever rejects me rejects the Father as well. And so Jesus is, is very black and white about this. And many people will make the mistake of then therefore saying that's very exclusive, if you will. But the irony of what sounds very exclusive is that Jesus then offers that to everyone freely, meaning you don't have to impress Jesus, win Jesus over, be good enough to get to Jesus, uh, start living your life by a certain code to be in Jesus. You know, he, he just simply does the work of God for you and invites you to put your trust in him freely as the way that God is seeking to have relation, no matter how poor you are, how uh, what a mess you are, how evil you are, what a bad track record you have, no matter what kind of shame or guilt you have, no matter your nationality, no matter your gender, no matter, and you, know, you can go on and on with this kind of stuff, right? So what is very exclusive in Jesus is the most inclusive offering of God to everyone that there can possibly be. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully that helps. Yeah. And then I think kind of along the same lines is that is, is Allah the same God as the God mm. of the Bible, but by a different name? No, so kind you. of that idea of, can yeah. you talk with God? Are you talking with God or Allah or any other gods that other religions have? Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So is Allah the same God as the God of the Bible, but by a different name? The answer is both yes and no. Mm -hmm. Allah or Allah is just the way that you say God in Arabic. So we say God in English, right? But in Hebrew, that's not it. In Hebrew, it's Elohim, right? In Greek, it's Theos. So, so we're just using a title. God is a title, not a name, right? We're just using a description of a, a being or a class, if you will. Like you'd say human or dog or like, like rock or something like that to refer to deity. And, and Allah is how you say it. And of course, Islam being a monotheistic, monotheistic religion, just like Judaism and Christianity, believes there is only one true God. So just like a Christian would talk about God or a Jew, a Hebraic Jew would talk about Elohim, um, um, someone in Arabic, like a, a Christian Arab, if you will, um, would use Allah as part of their natural language, which is totally fine. But you have to push it a level further because what kind of beliefs have you tucked into the term that they're using? And in Islam, there is a lot of correlation and similarity between a Muslim's perception of God 
and a Christian or a Jew's perception of God. So we can't talk in binary terms here of it's true or false or yes or no. But that doesn't mean Christianity, Judaism, and Islam all teach identically the same things about God. And if you're importing into Allah as a reference point from a Muslim way of thinking about God, there will be true things there, but there will also be false things there as I speak from a Christian perspective and believe that Christianity is the true revelation of who God is. So we got to be careful with how we use the terms. And this is actually an issue for um, missionaries, um, both of an Arabic descent and a non-Arabic descent of going, is it okay to still use this term in these contexts or is it laden with too much baggage that we should use a different term? I remember one uh, um, professor telling me about his, uh, I believe it was his brother who was a missionary in Papua New Guinea mm. uh, a, a generation or two ago. And they don't have sheep there. At least they didn't in the day or lambs, if you will. But they did raise pigs and they used pigs in much the same way that we would envision sheep or lambs being used religiously in the Bible. And the missionaries, as they were translating the Bible into whatever the indigenous language was, had to come up with some determinative things going. When we come to the past passages that say, um, Jesus is the lamb of God, well, there's no frame of reference for what a lamb is. So is it okay to say that Jesus is the pig of God or the swine of God? But immediately as I say that, you see how from our perspective that that comes all kinds of other potentially wrong connotations. Maybe not only just not liking the idea of calling Jesus a pig, but more so the, the Old Testament view of like pig and swine possibly leading to wrong conclusions. And so how we use language becomes Yeah, because other places tricky. in the Bible... You have pig and swine being used to like cast demons into and other things like that. So it wasn't or, or being an unclean animal. animal. Yeah, yeah, simply. And so I, I like how C.S. Lewis has always approached this question with with be it paganism or other religions, where it's not so much talking about right and wrong in absolute binary terms, but if Jesus is truly the full revelation of who God is, elements of the truth of God's revelation can be found in other religious systems. Um, of whatever stripe and variety. And those can be windows to then point you to the truth of God by which you can then through Jesus discover the greater truth of what God is and maybe step away from some of the corruptions or misunderstandings of who God is as well. And, And I think this is one case where that can be the case, even though Islam, of course, historically came after Christianity. Well, I think there's a lot of ways that people talk about God that wouldn't align with what our church teaches about God. So it's like, it's kind of the same question. Okay. They're saying God, but is what they're teaching in agreement with how God has been revealed to us in scripture, or is it something they're adding on to it or changing? Like, even if you look at prosperity gospel or there's just other examples of that where, okay, I don't know if we're talking about the same God here. We're using the same words, but is this exactly the same, the same being an analogy that helps me is You look at the Gospels and the New Testament, and there's four different stories about Jesus, very congruent stories. But if you read each Gospel on its own terms, you get a different nuance to Jesus' personality in each. Much the same way that like, if I was to talk to you about my dad, and then one of his co-workers was to talk to you about him, and an ex-girlfriend was to talk to you about him, and a military buddy was to talk to you about him, you would get different perceptions as well. And yet they're all true, just limited. 
right? But then there's other people that could talk about my dad that just get it flat out wrong, right? And this would be more akin to maybe like the apocryphal gospels or something like that, where they weren't accepted as part of the revelation of the Bible because they're like, no, that's just wrong. It's not just a nuance difference. It's not just a perspective difference. It's just wrong. Um, and, and I think that can hold into some of this language thing you think with other religions as well, that there could be certain elements here that are true. Like, like an apocryphal gospel can say Jesus was a man. Well, okay, that's that's true. But there's enough wrong stuff being said that it gets you into muddy water pretty quick, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this this next question, the, the prosperity gospel kind of got me on this track of mine, but... Uh, they're asking when we acknowledge a blessing from God, like our family, home, money, etc. Is it also saying those who do not have those things are not blessed by God? Uh, it, it shouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, it's a great question. Thank you for asking. And here's the reason why it's not, or at least shouldn't be. I say shouldn't be because I do believe that people have done that wrongly um, or believe that wrongly. And I'm allowing that that occurs but I'm just saying it's not right and not the way of God. It's because fundamentally God does not bless us all the same. And so Andrew, you have different blessings from God than I do. Steve, you have different blessings. Kent, you do. Our listeners each have different blessings. There can be a lot of commonality in those blessings, but there's also distinctions. We're jumping into first Corinthians 12. This week. That's going to float very well into what we're talking about. Absolutely. At fellowship of faith. And, you know, and I love this line of how, Paul will talk about the same thing, talking about spiritual gifts or gifts that God gives, where he says there's different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord, different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God as work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit in this case, but you could put blessing, if you will, is given for the common good. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit, but he distributes them to each one as he determines. Um, I've been blessed with a lot more prosperity than some of my brothers and sisters in Christ in Jamaica. I had a chance to go work in a deaf village there a couple decades back. <clears throat> they lived in one room, dirt floor, huts, um, with, with tin rusty roofs and didn't have two cents to their names. And yet in many ways, I think they had more joy than the average suburban American that I see. Steve, I know you've seen this in Uganda. Andrew, I know you've seen this in your work in Africa and in dealing with the Hope Center and things like that. Different gifts, Right. So yes, it's not wrong to say God has blessed me in this way and might not have blessed another person. What would be wrong is to say that I'm more favored by God, more loved by God, more important to God, or that this blessing is more significant. We're all blessed by God in different ways. And that's why the church is called to come together to share its blessings with one another and benefit each other because none of us has the fullness alone. Mm -hmm. One, uh, I think it's a movie or TV show movie that came out recently is The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Uh, mm. And that's a... It's a Netflix or a... I think it's on Hulu or okay. Prime. Um, but that that was a very... I forget his... Jim Baker. Yeah. Was that was yeah, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Big in the 80s, right? Yeah. And they... I mean, they were very prosperity gospel preachers, televangelists. Um, and it was very interesting watching the show, seeing how they got to where they were. So it's like, I don't think they started out no. in that, but all of a sudden, once you get down this road, all of a sudden it's like, well, we need to keep this going. So uh, you've been blessed. Let's 
bless us, essentially. And for those unfamiliar with the terminology, prosperity gospel refers to um, an incorrect Christian theological strain that says health and wealth are the sign of God's favor and blessing in your life. The mistake that other Christians have made is in response and rejection to this is to say that they're not blessings. No, they absolutely are blessings. Health and wealth is a blessing of God. The problem with the prosperity gospel movement is timing. They're insisting that those blessings have to come now. And if you don't have them now, you are not truly living in God's favor now. God has promised immense blessings, but they are in the age to come. The life of now is, again, the life of the cross, the theology of the cross, hence the fixation on the cross a little bit. To go, often our life now is devoid of those blessings and often marked by suffering, often marked by struggle, often marked by sacrifice, often marked by persecution. Um, I, I tell you, 2,000 years of Christian history have witnessed that if you're going to equate health and wealth to being the litmus test of whether you're blessed by God, you have just thrown out most of the Bible and distorted most of Christian history. Yeah, on the same side of the opposite side of that, if you're dealing with sickness or you know famine in the Bible and those other things, that doesn't mean that you're cursed by God no, either. No, it's, exactly. It's, it's not a tie. Yeah, there's not a what is it? A correlation or causation? Yeah, correlation does not equal causation. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, there's a there's a big one out there right now too. Uh, uh, Hillsong. Yeah, I watched uh, that the documentary on Hillsong. So I keep hearing about this one. I got a which one? What uh? What network? It's on Discovery the, Plus. Discovery Plus. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. That's and, why I'm saying it. And yeah. It, yeah, it's it's the same thing. The the prosperity piece and how frail humans are, you know, and mm-hmm. and how they can be misled misled very very easily. And we can also be misled by media as well. Yeah, and how absolutely. They can spin things, and so I I often wonder, like, yeah, I'm sure there's some of the stuff that is true on there. I'm sure there's stuff on there that has just been totally egg- <clears throat> over exaggerated and mm-hmm. to to come up with caricaturized egg- right. and made into a good story that'll sell. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. hard to sift. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One of the main points in in that documentary that I saw was that it's talking about how like Hillsong's mission, their mission of the church was to basically create a global church. Mm -hmm. So we want to spread as far as we can, as wide as we can. And you're like, okay, while the idea behind that isn't wrong, that's discipleship essentially. What is the reasoning behind it? As long as it's Christ's church. Yeah. yeah, And not our brand. Yeah. Uh, So I, I watched it right before Mm. Holy week. And all of a sudden I started thinking like, okay, where, how are we aligning within this of like, okay, yes, our church, we want to reach more people with the gospel, but making sure that that's, that that isn't becoming the gospel itself. Mm-hmm. The, the right. way of reaching them isn't right. the gospel. It's like, no, the gospel is the gospel. And <laughs> yeah, we're right. trying to promote that, not just promote the fact that we are promoting mm-hmm. something. Right. Well, and then it kind of lends yourself like, you see a lot of churches right now dying. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of churches that probably that, it, that on the surface anyway, cause you never know a church until you get into a church and then you realize, okay, so what's actually happening here. And then even then you don't know, but there's a lot of churches that are, that are seeing numbers dwindling. They can't afford to keep their door doors open unless they've got money stashed away or whatever. So the question would be is why one church versus another? You know, why, why does God allow 
you know, one church to flourish and another church just to die. You know, for instance, Hillsong, they did they did wonderful things. There was a lot of good that did come out of Hillsong. Yeah. You know, I mean, music wise, I think there was a lot of creativity that really spawned a lot of Christian Christian artists to continue to write music. But why did they have that success? And now the little church that, you know, is preaching the gospel and, and mm-hmm. doing g- faithful and good and yes. filled with love. Yeah. And, they're, and they're just dead, you know. And so I'm curious, what are what are your thoughts on that? I don't have a good a good answer. There's some comedian, I don't remember who it was, that was talking about um, uh, Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong, the biker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, say what you want about him but he did find a way to raise hundreds of millions of dollars for cancer research. So like, yeah, did the ways he go about it were bad. He was cheating at what he was doing, but the, uh, or a side result of that was a good thing. And that's how I kind of feel about the Hillsong thing. Like, okay, yeah, there were some things in there that are weird and bad and not good at all, but they also have a church of however many millions of members and TV stations and all these things. So it's like, there's good and bad within mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. The way, the way I'd answer that is go back to that old song. I am the church. You are the church. We are the church together. Right. So anytime you're dealing with people, there's flaws, we're sinful. Um, and I may be very charismatic and full of the spirit. Um, and, and the people who end up following may start following my charismatic piece. Mm-hmm. And, and God allows me to have that charismatic piece to, because that's who I am. Um, but as I've told a lot of people in my life is I don't, be careful who you're, who you're going to church for or why you're going to church and what's happening there. Um, you know, a big, big church down in Houston, you know, let's, that, 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 I've the, never heard of this that, church. That leader, <laughs> the leader of that church, uh, you know, isn't even ordained. No, you know, and you don't even have to go that far. Right. How often do we see this, even in the local church, that you've never, that no one outside of that area has heard mm-hmm. of, but it's still a personality cult. Where yeah. I come here because I really like either the pastor or yep. the worship director, it's some staff yeah. member that they attach on to, uh, completely. Um, separate from any designs or intentions by that staff person, but they're almost there more for that person. Yeah. And, and to your question of so many churches dying, I think it's a very complicated answer yeah, and, and so doesn't too. come down to yeah. one. Yeah. Right. But so often I wonder if like the apostle Paul was to walk into a church today and, and see it on the, the typical American model where it is ministry is done by a select paid few, as opposed to church being a commitment of a group of people to do life together. I, I don't know if he would really recognize it. I would love to him to write us third Corinthians or, you know, third McHenryans or, you know, whatever city you have to be in. Because my question when these small churches often die is, okay, maybe your pastor left and I'm not undermining the significance of that. Maybe you can't afford this building that needs so much maintenance that it's just not capable to keep it open. But why aren't you still meeting in a living room? Mm-hmm. Why aren't you still like, floating a hundred bucks between you to some local back room of an American Legion. Why aren't you just going and doing lunch together at the local pub and spending two hours there and spending your money on food. But what you're doing is you're praying together. You're, you're reading the Bible together. You're worshiping together because the church is not dependent on money 
The, the church is not dependent on facilities. The church or shouldn't be dependent on even training, if you will. And I'm not underestimating or undermining the value that those things can bring. But why can't the 20 of us continue to meet together and just commit to do life together in Christ? Even if we don't have a building to meet in. Right. Yeah. It, yeah, that was one of the things that I loved about the Monday, Thursday experience at our church was just seeing everyone gathered at their tables, sharing a meal together. Cause it's like, this looks like what the church should be doing. And that was your first experience, right? Andrew, like that. And yours yeah. too, Steve, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it was, that was just very cool to see people. And then especially once the meal started, people are getting up and talking to other tables and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, this interaction is not about sitting and listening to someone preach or listening to music or watching a video or anything. It's, it's the community. It's it's true community communion. And, yeah. And, while and how I, easy is it to get away from that? While I loved it, here's one thing that, yeah. that saddens me about, yeah. about it a little bit is that we have to have one day a year called Monday Thursday <laughs> for, <it to> <laughs> in order for that to happen. Right. So it's like, oh. what, wait a second, guys. Like if we're truly in community and our, and our church is called Fellowship of Faith, then do it all the time. Why is this not every week? You know, like in some capacity, because you enjoyed it on that night. Well, continue to do it then. You know, it doesn't have to be at the church. Do it in do it in homes. Do it in restaurants. Do it in wherever. You know, after a softball game. So anybody that wants to come to the bar after the softball game, hit me up. But you know, it's that Acts two picture, (laughs) Acts two forty four, forty five, whatever it is. They continue to meet daily in the temple courts, and then the next phrase is breaking bread in their homes and eating together with glad and sincere hearts. Yep. I mean, that, that was how communion, they called it a feast, right? Communion was a feast in the early church. And who doesn't love that song? This is a feast of victory. You know, I, I, yeah, I love that. I song. love that song. All right. Next week, next communion service. Okay. Let's bust it out. Let's do Get the loops going. <laughs> metal, metal versions. Well, hey, you know, we hit about 1.30. We're a, a, a few seconds over here. want to thank you guys for listening today. This is questions you never thought you could ask in church. And if we did not get to your question today, don't worry. It is important to us. We're so glad that you're asking and it is in our inbox. We will get to it as soon as we can. You can text in your questions 24-7. You don't just have to wait till the show's in progress. They'll go straight to our inbox and we'll get to them. The number is 815-314-0363, 815-314-0363. Visit us at fellowshipoffaith.org. Catch past episodes on Spotify, Apple, whatever your podcast provider happens to be. We go live every Wednesday afternoon at 12.30 p.m. Central Time with replays of this podcast throughout the week. Hope you'll tune in. Hope you're learning something about God. Hope you're growing in your relationship with him. God bless, guys. Church.